0: Hi, everybody. Our topic for tonight was, who is Yitzchak destined to marry? So, the first thing to notice in looking at this sedra is obviously, there's just a tremendous amount of what seems to be verbosity or superfluousness in terms of all of the discussion about the marriage of Yitzhak and Rivka, how it came about between the command of Avram to the servant and what actually transpired and then the recapitulation, the review of what happened with the family. That is, takes up the bulk of the sedra. Chazal already pointed out that Amr Bacha. That it is, it is more important, it is more valuable, the Shmuzing, the sicha, of the servants of the Avais than the tira son, than the tyra of their grandchildren. Why? The parsha of Eliezer takes up two or three pages I find this um, actually interesting uh, as an aside the reason I find it interesting that it takes up two or three pages is that most of the Sifri Torah today until about a few years ago for the last 40 or 50 years were written on 245 Amudim over the last couple of years it's become more popular, perhaps, to be writing Torahs over 248 amudim, 248 dapim. And and the reason is that it, it gives you more space, so the letters are not sort of encroaching on each other, they're not so tight. And the reason that, let's say for Torah, today, is either 245 or 248, Amudim, is simply because it was very difficult to, and in, in sort of nowadays, it's very difficult to imagine what Sifrit Torah were like 100 years ago or 200 years ago. So all the Sifrit Torah today are uniform in the way they're written. Sometimes you'll have a little bit off here or there, but the basic format of every almud, of every daf in a Sefer is the same. Again, as I said, some of the more modern Torahs the last five years are starting to do 248 Amudim, so that'll be different. But for the last 50 years, it was 245 Amudim. What's interesting is that if you look at a Sefer in the 245 Amudim, the story only, the story takes place, the beginning part of the story takes place uh, at the top of an amud, and it continues on to the second amud, and then it finishes up with the servant bringing Rivka back, and bringing to Yitzhak on a third amud. It's always three amudim. It's never two amudim. So I don't understand what it means two or three, except for the fact that, of course, they didn't have a uniform format in those days. And so things were very different. I have had the pleasure of landing over these last 20-plus years and have seen some older tires that were done before the formatting convention, and they are all over the place in terms of where they start or end. And So certainly in some of those tires, perhaps it did, in fact, take place only over two amudim but anyhow the medrash here is saying that rabbi acha is saying that the sikhasan of the avdei of the avdadam of the avais is more valuable than the terror of their children why because the the story of yitzhak and rivka takes place over three different or two or three different pages whereas the various different halachas, like for example, the halacha of uh, of a sharetz, right? That's from the gufe Torah, the halachas of Shratim, and the fact that the dam of a is vein uh, and the fact that the dam of a is not matam like the basar. Elam Mikra is only learned out from a in the Pasik. it's not actually learned out from the in the Pasik itself. That's a proof that the sicha of the of the avadim is more wonderful, is more uh, valuable, as it were, than than the uh, you know gufei teira, which sometimes are mamish, uh, as the Mishnah says in Maseches right? That we learn the hetan edarim is parchen ba'avir, right? We don't know that the, the ability to be made for the is mamish. Is, uh, is, is flying in the heavens. It's not clear from the Chumash at all that they have such a possibility. Or Hilcho Shabbos, Chagigas, those halochas of, of Hilcho Shabbos, is Hare, The Mishnah, the Mishnah Chagiga says, "Hareim kararim tatfuiy besayra." They're like mountains hanging on a here. The Torah says, "Lo sasikol malachim." We have thirty-nine malachas. We have avodes. We have toldus. We, we have so many different things. We have so much, and yet, in the Torah it's so little, and the Torah it's so small. So the Torahs and yafas tichos and shallavdi by the avodes. It is seen in so many different ways of things that are not found in the Torah, and yet the Torah spends so much time on discussing the, the nuptials of Yitzchak. So therefore, that gave the impetus to Chazal, to formulate the idea that just the talking of the servant, just the talking of, of the back and forth with Avram, with the family, what he said by the well, all of this was more valuable and, and more important to be said than all of the halachas that have to be learned out of rebuyim and drushes and the like, and they're not written clearly in the pasuk at all. So, so that's sort of the the context to open up the sedra. So I want to I want to start with the end of Parshas Vayera. The end of Parshas Vayera told us something that sounds irrelevant. We learn about the birth of Nachar's family. He has children and grandchildren and has all of his descendants. Why do I need to know this? What's the point of telling me about what's happening in Nachar's life? We just finished the Akedah, a monumental moment, a spiritual apex, a pinnacle of a life. We now know that Abraham has reached this incredible level of spiritual closeness to God and we and we and we're closing off the sedra was like something innocuous it's like in the megillah right in megillah esther we 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 talk about the incredible saving of the Jewish people and how we end off and Ahasuerus was given a mass he was giving taxes on the people it's like what that's how we end the megillah what's the, so it seems like such an innocuous ending or irrelevant ending. And obviously there's something to mine. So if the Torah is ending off the Parsha with that, there seems to be some context, some purpose for it. Most obvious as a matter of shot, would seem to be, is that it's going to be a good foreshadowing for what's coming next. In other words, the Torah very often uses a tool that I think is known literarily as foreshadowing. For example, a classic example of foreshadowing is the Rashbam's famous line about the creation of the world. We discussed this in the Rashbam classes a few years ago. If you recall, the the question that many of the Rishonim grapple with is why is the Torah spending this time discussing the, the creation in a in such a short way, it doesn't reveal any of the genius of the, of, of, of the creation of the universe that we know science has found pieces of it and is continuing to find more pieces of it as we as we go along. Why are we talking about it? What's the point of discussing the creation story if we're only able to really talk about it in the most childish of ways? in the most shallow of ways. We cannot get at the depth. In the creation story of the genius of God creation, we can't get to that in literally the one and a half pages that it occupies. Or two pages if you count the second creation, or the second iteration of the creation story as of what Rabbi Salavitra would call Adam II. So different we Rishadim have their approaches, right? We've discussed, obviously... The Ramban's famous approach of myself is Simla Banim, and Rashi's famous approach of the United Nations, that this helps ensure that when the nations are going to say, List the matem, we'll be able to say, look, he created the world, and he can give it to whom he wants. And it shows us that he created the world, too, when he chose the Jewish people. He chose Abraham and he chose his descendants. The Rajbam, of course, says it's a foreshadowing. The Rajbam says... Now really, the creation story wasn't the point. The point of the creation story was really to discuss Shabbos, and Shabbos is a foreshadowing to get you to Mat and Torah where you're going to hear about the mitzvah of keeping the Sabbath. So you won't know what it's talking about. Therefore, you have to know about the creation to see what the connection is. So, in in this case, in this case over here, the end of Parzvayer of is a foreshadowing. In other words, in this Sajran, Parz Chayasara, is going to go out. Um and get married. So, who is he going to marry? Rivka. Well, you need to know that Rivka was born. How do Rivka was born? By telling you about Nocher's descendants. So that seems to be, as a matter of shot, probably the simplest understanding of of why um, it's listed there at the end of the sedge. And in fact, if you look at the Radak, the Radak says, that is really the point. And in fact, you could see the point. Um. Precisely, that Rivka is really the the, the 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 point of the story, says the Radak, because that's why it doesn't mention Lavan, right? Presumably, Lavan was uh, an older brother. He certainly took charge when the servant comes in a way that's more than Rivka, right? Because you see, Rivka when she gets her when she gets her uh, jewelry, um, you know she's running, she's running to uh, to tell uh, the family about what happened, um, but Lavan's the one who's taking charge and saying, "Yeah, there's room." Um, you know, and uh you know, let me take your camels and let's uh, you know, make you comfortable, etc. So it would seem that Lovin is potentially the older brother. Um certainly he's able to answer before the father, but yeah, and of And yet and yet Lovin's not mentioned as one of the descendants. Now you could say, look, that's not correct. Maybe Lovin was really not born yet, maybe he was too young. I don't know not clear to me. But it would seem it would seem that it's easy to see Lavan as being older than Rivka, and yet he's not mentioned. So the Radak wants to prove that that's because of the fact that Rivka is really the point. The problem with the Radak is, okay, but then why do we have to mention all the other descendants? What's the point of mentioning everybody else here? Many other of the descendants of Nacha are mentioned. Right, Pildash Yidlov, you, know, you have that. Why don't you just go straight to Besuel? Why do I have to mention the pileges? Why do I have to mention her children? who needs any of these people? The point is Rivka, just talk about Rivka. It's not clear to me that, that there's a strong or a good answer to that question. Again, perhaps Lavan wasn't yet born. That might explain it, but it didn't seem that way from, from the context later. All right. <clears throat> the b'charshar is clear, by the way, that on this, that he says that, that no, exactly for the reason that we said, says the Yaakov, I'm sorry, Yaakov. Avram wants Yitzchak to find the shiduch. So now that he knows that his family has had children, so now he's able to find a place to make a shiduch. If he didn't know, then you know maybe he wouldn't have sent them. Maybe he would have had to send somewhere else. But because now he knows that there's potentially some girls there. We mentioned two at the end of Ayyar. We mentioned both Rivka and Ma'acha. So at least he had a place to go to to send for a potential Shilach. That's the uh, approach of the Bechosh. And that sort of explains again what the reason is for at the end of Ayyar discussing the family of Nachar having had descendants. There's no seemingly obvious connection to the Akedah, but it's obviously very tied to the events in the middle of this Sedra where Avram is looking for a wife for Yitzchak. However, that's not the approach of that's not the approach of, of Rashi. If you look at Rashi over there, Rashi says that the reason that Avram, I'm sorry, that the reason that the Torah is mentioning the descendants of Nahar is because of the fact that Avram now had a premonition. He just went through the Akedah. He nearly sacrificed his son. So he just finished through the Akedah. He's almost sacrificed his son. So at this stage, he says to himself, whoa. If I had sacrificed my son, then would the this, this story would be that he would have died without descendants. I would have had no grandchildren. I can't take the risk that such a thing could happen. Therefore, I must get him married off right now. That is, according to Rashi, the reason that the end of Parashas of Ayera were mentioning all of the descendants of Nahar is not merely because it's connected to the events in Parashayasar. It's not a foreshadow, it's not setting up a context. No, according to Rashi, the reason that the events, I'm sorry, the reason that the descendants of Nahar are mentioned at the end of the Akeda is precisely tied to the Akeda. It's the Akeda. That made Avram decide that he needs to get married. He needs to marry off Yitzchak right away, because the possibility that Yitzchak could be lost without having any descendants. So therefore, he needs to go about making sure that this marriage takes off right away. Now, you could ask, as a matter of shot, this doesn't make sense, because if you look at the pasuk. In Chaisar, What is the opening pusik to say that Avram is now decided to go off and marry a marry off Yitzhak to somebody? pusik says, bo yeah. And he says, "This etc., what seems to be the driving factor for in wanting for Abraham wanting to marry off his son Yitzchak? The driving factor is the Avram the The driving factor is Avram is old. That seems to be the Nakuda causes of why Avram wants to look for a shudder for Yitzchak. He's old, and he wants to make sure that before his time is up, he's going to be marrying off Yitzchak. Now, it's true that when Yitzchak gets married, Avram is 140 years old. Right? He still has another 35 years left. But, again, he's already old. How old would he live? It's not clear. So it's time. But it doesn't seem to be related to the events of the Akeda. More than that, the the Mizrahi, the sister Chachamim, who normally is defending Rashi here, goes with the Mizrahi to ask the following question, or the following two questions. Because Rashi continues. And he doesn't just simply say that the reason that The Torah is mentioning the descendants of Nachar is just because of the fact that Avram has now finished with the al and he's been so um, scared because it's possible that Yitzchak could be lost without having had any descendants. He says one step further, Rashi. Rashi says additionally to that, says Rashi, that that Avram Avinu had a basura from Akkadish Borhu that Rivka was born and that she was in fact his zivik. She was in fact the one who was destined for him. And why did he get such a basura? Why did Akkadish give him a basura that there was a girl born? who was his baszog, that it was really the right zivik for him, why did he get such a basura? Says Rashi, because of the fact that Avram wanted to be marrying off Yitzchak to anyone. Says Rashi, From the perspective of Rashi, Avram's driving factor is losing Yitzhak without any descendants. So he needs to get him married off right away. And he would have married him off to the daughters of Anar Ashkel Mamre. But because he was potentially going to go a route that Hashem didn't want, so Hashem gave him a basura taiva. then you should know that a zivik was born, and that's Rivka. Says the Mizraki, says the Sifzachamim, why is Rashi Leaving the Pashapshat and going after the Majrashim. Now, that's a very separate topic. We're not going through Rashi this year, but this is Rashi Kedaka B'Koydesh. But in this case, the Sif Tzacham has a sympathy for the Mizrahi's question, and they don't defend Rashi. They by at the Tzorachian. They do not try to answer up Rashi. They leave it. <coughs> this is a, a good question on Rashi. The Sif doesn't normally do this, right? will normally try to defend Rashi here. He doesn't. That is, there was a, the the challenge that they're asking is why are you walking away from the simple pshat, which is that it seems like this story took place after the events here. It wasn't like something specific, like oh my gosh, Avram immediately found out that Rivka the Bazug was born. No, at some later point he found out, number one. And number two, as they point out, the 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 question is that that the um that the words Sounds like it's a bit of time has taken place, and not like immediate, which would sound like from that There was something immediate because he was so nervous and he was going to go marry off thought to the first goal that he saw from Anarash Ashkram That's number one. Number two, like I say, the, the, the there's no indication. There's no indication that this is his driving factor, that, that or that he received the basura, that Rivka was the Civic, or the fact that, as we say in the, this week's Parsha, that the driving motivator seems to be that he was getting old. So all of these are sort of bomb questions on the approach of Rashi. But what seems to be clear, at least, is that according to Rashi, the driving factor for mentioning Nohar's descendants was that Avram was going to go marry off Yitzhak to the first girl he saw. It was, he was a done. It was enough. You know, the Misa with like, um, with uh, it's apocryphal, right? Rashi and his daughters, so he had a daughter. Yochev, they were all like very special, very learned. And as the story goes, nobody was good enough for her. All the boys that Rashi wanted to read her, they, she was like not, 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 not good, not strong enough, not good enough. And finally, Rashi, you know, pulled like the uh, the yiftach, right? Whoever's gonna, you know, come the next to the house, that's it. That's who you're marrying. And the next person who came to the house was some sort of a beggar. And they're very upset. But they began planning for a wedding. For so this ignoramus, this beggar. And as the legend has it, that Rashi was in the middle of writing some commentary somewhere. And he didn't he didn't have a good chance, so he went outside for a walk. And when he came back in, it was it was written out for him. And no nobody who could have done it. But for this beggar. So he goes to the beggar and you know, says to him, did you write this pshat? So the guy eventually admits, and turns out what he was doing was, what was common in those days, certainly by uh, by some of the great Torah scholars in the medieval, medieval era, even later on, you know, the Grod did something of like this. He was taking on himself a Golis, uh, um, you know, a period of time that he left his house and wandered around. And obviously was a, a very serious Talmud Chochem, the father of, this is Rabbi Meir, Rabbi the father of the Rash, you know the the Rashbam, Rashmul Ben Meir, Rabbi Utam, Rabbi Yaakov, the son of Rabbi Meir, um, Rabbi Vav etc. So, you know, this is um, this this is sort of what Rashi is saying. Avram was capable of doing. He was going to marry Rabbi Yitzhak right away to any Canaanite like, girl. This is enough. This is too dangerous. Yitzhak was about to die. We're done. And Hashem has to come in and tell him, no, 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 no. slow down, slow down. It's okay. He has a Zivik. She was just born. Her name is her name is Rivka. So according to this understanding, that's how you get that Rivka's. If if Yitzhak is thirty seven years old at the Akeda he marries at forty. So then Avram can't go right away to marry her off. He has to wait some amount of time to go marry her off. Why? Because because of the fact that um, you know she was just born. So he has to wait until she's at least three years old, which is. Why perhaps in this Sedra is when it mentions that Avram's like, okay, I am not waiting long anymore, even though she's very young. I don't know, and he didn't have to worry that she's gonna go marry somebody else. But according to the way Rashi's learning, presumably, given that Avram is now very old, he wants the shidduch to take place. That would be perhaps one way to see how Rashi's learning. But we have to get to the Ibn Ezra, and the Ibn Ezra has a very fundamentally different understanding. Uh, maybe before we just mention, I just point out one thing that um, this is a beautiful a nitziv. The nitziv suggests on this idea of why we're mentioning the end of the parsha, the family of Nachar, He says that this is actually, and he talks about the beginning of Lachachad and and now at the end of Eiram, that was not just a command about moving away. It was an existential command to Abraham. He had to distance himself from his family. He had to distance himself. And if you recall, we discussed this in Ibn Ezra a couple of weeks ago. The Passock tells us that Nachor lived until he was 200 years old. So he lived for another 60 years after Abraham said goodbye to him. He lived during the life of Yitzchak. He lived during the life of, of Ram and Sarah and Yitzhak, Yishma, all of that. He was alive for all of that. Maybe he didn't know about it. According to the Nitziv, Avram cut off ties with the family. Lechelchot didn't just mean move away. It meant cutting off the ties. Why? Because the family was idol worshippers. The family could run him down. And Hashem was commanding him to make a clean break. But when we are seeing here the mention of Nocher's family, it's as though the Torah is sort of being a mere for Avram. He now can re-engage in familiarity and relationship with his family. Why? Because now he has reached he really came out. now he's reached such a spiritual apex, such a pinnacle of, 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 of Vegas with Baruch Hu, that there's no longer a fear. There's no longer a danger of influence from his family. At this stage, that's why we're bringing in the family of Nohar. because at this stage it's no longer an impediment to his growth. He's not going to have normal family relations with his, with his loved ones. There's a different take on why the, the family of Nocher is mentioned over there. But I think, again, the most push up shot is not that Lechelcha meant to be cut off from the family. I think the most push up shot is as a foreshadowing to provide the context for what we're going to see in this sedra. On the part of the, of the fact that um, he was cut off from his family, again, we don't necessarily find an indication of that. Um, to the contrary, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily agree with the And Siv, because at the end of the day, Light went with him, and Light was, you know, not the best of people. He came with him. Obviously, it didn't work out. There were fights, but if not for the fights, he would have uh, presumably stayed on, right? And 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 even after they had the fights, and even after the separation, he still had no problem praying for him. Um, so it would seem to me that it wasn't necessarily cut off. Um, from his family, just because they were not, uh, um, you know, uh, monotheists. In any event, I want to get now to the to the approach of the Ibn Ezra. So the Ibn Ezra says something that's very different than I think most people are accustomed to hearing. According to the Ibn Ezra, Yitzhak was not thirty-seven years old at the Akedah. According to the Ibn Ezra. Yitzchak was 13 years old at the Akedah. Now, I do want to clarify that the Ibn Ezra does say that if there is a Kabbalah to this Chazal, meaning, if there is some sort of Sinaitic tradition that Yitzchak was 37, he says, we'll accept it. But without it, I'm going to go my way. This is the second time then he so far used this, this wording, this verb, this verbiage of the Im Kabal and a kabal. You'll recall perhaps um, that the first time we mentioned it quickly, um, is at the end of Prajas Nach. What a Pasik says that Nachar was married to Milka, and Avon was married to, to Yiska, and the father was Haran, who was Avi Milka of Avi Yiska. I'm sorry, Avram was married to Sarai. <coughs> Nahar was married to Milka. Horan is the father of Milka and Yiska. and 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 Chazal say that Yiska is Sarah because she was sechah b'ruach And in there, the Ibn Ezra also says v'im nekabel. If it's in fact, you know, some sort of ancient tradition that Yiska is Sarah, the same person, then I'll accept it. But otherwise, not. Otherwise, I will not accept it. And he doesn't accept it there either. So. Why does the Ibn Ezra say that Yitzchak was thirteen and not thirty-seven at the Aqeda? The reason is because of the fact that, according to the Ibn Ezra, it should not be that the Akeda is given all this credit to Avram, with nary a mention of Yitzchak. If Yitzchak is a mature adult then the test for him to be on the Akedah was far greater than it was for Avram. So how could it be, says the Ibn Ezra, that the Torah doesn't mention a word about Yitzchak's sacrifice, a word about Yitzchak's willingness to give up his life, not to hurt his or harm or otherwise stop his father, how could the Torah not give him any credit in the Pesukim themselves? It's only about Avram. So we know all the answers that various commentaries give, that it was really only a test for Avram, Yitzchak was at such a high level, all this. But again, think about it from the perspective of the Ibn Ezra, he's asking a question in how could it be that the Torah is giving all these accolades to Avram Avinu and not to Yitzchak? Yitzhak is an adult, mature person this is a massive test for him so he says, look, there are those that say that Yitzhak was really only five years old at the al and he doesn't accept that, he says, no, that doesn't work, at the end of the day, if you say he was a baby, then how could he have carried up the wood, up the mountain presumably he would ask, how could it be asked a coherent question, you know, dad, where is the for this carbon he's not a baby so, therefore, the Ibn Ezra says, he's, he's really, you know, he's a young adult. So, and then he comes up with the age 13. And the age of 13, you could able to both, you know, carry up the wood, and also to be effectively overpowered by your father to become the Oilam, and therefore not to get the credit. In other words, for the Ibn Ezra's perspective, if Yitzchak knew that he was, in fact, the Oilam, he would have ran away. At 13 years old, he would for sure run away. Maybe he couldn't overpower his dad, he would run away. So therefore, I believe you come out on the approach of the Ibn Ezra with a far different understanding of the al You understand why Avram is getting all the credit. Because at the end of the day, through subterfuge and through, frankly, sheer power, Avram is able... To put Yitzhak onto that akeda, and Yitzhak is not going and running away because he was tricked into this, and therefore, when it the, at the moment of truth, the biggest challenge was on from himself, and that's why he's getting all the credit for being able to pass the just unimaginable test that the akeda presented, but. I think we can now take that a step further because that is the Ibn Ezra in relation to Yitzchak's age at the Akedah. But think about how that impacts now the remainder of the story that we just mentioned about Nachar being listed and his family being recorded. If Yitzchak is 13 years old at the Akedah and he gets married at 40, That means that there are 27 intervening years where Avraham doesn't marry him off, where doesn't do anything. That is, there is no here of, oh my gosh, I almost killed Yitzhak. If he's going to die without descendants, I'm going to be left without, you know, uh, an heir to carry on this tradition. That didn't happen at all for the Ibn Ezra. To the contrary, 27 years passed. And the overriding reason to marry off Yitzchak is, is because the pasuk says by Yomim, because he's getting old, so he's now going to be an older person. He's now going to be um, at the age of um, uh, Avram is hundred years. You know, when 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 Yitzchak is born, now he's going to be forty Yitzchak. So that means Avram is going to be hundred and forty years old, and Yitzchak's chassano. So it's time. It's time to get him married off. If that's true, then I think we come out with a different picture as to mentioning the descendants of Nachar. Because according to this understanding, it simply doesn't it simply doesn't seem that that necessary to tie in the story of the Akedah to Nacha's family. It's simply not relevant. There was a. Akeda, And then we have a list. Of Nacha's family. And the only reason. Of mentioning it. Is for the context. In our sedra now. When was Rivka born? We don't know. She was born during the intervening. 27 years. There's no indication. That she's three. She could be six. She could be 27. The Pusik by opening up. By saying Was that some point after this? When was that point? I don't know. It's not clear when that point is. There's no connection to the Akedah. The connection is the Parash chayisar, where we're going to talk about the family. So therefore, I think you're getting a very different feeling of the connection of the end of the sedra and Vayera to the part of the Akedah. And it would seem to me that to the contrary, maybe Avram was taking a risk. In other words, let's say, and during the 27 years, we don't know when, but let's say in year two or year five, Avram heard that Rivka was born, that Macha was born, that Besul had had a bunch of children, grandchildren, etc. But he didn't make a move to go get him married off. So don't you run the risk that Rivka might eventually get married or Macha or whoever other girls were there that they may get married off to somebody else? I believe you are running the risk. In other words, if you go with the approach that like is 37 years old, even if you don't want to tie it to the akeda, you still only have an intervening period of a few years. But if you're saying, like the Ibn Ezra, that Yitzchak is really 13 years old, so then you have a long period of time for Rivka to get old and to find another Shidduch. So clearly, it's not just not a Besura. He wasn't worried about finding this any specific girl from, from Nachar's family. Any girl would do. There was obviously no specific connection to Rivka at all. Again, very different than what we would be seeing from Rashi. Alright, so let's move on. And now, we come in to what seems to be a very odd Ibn Ezra. In our Parsha this week, the command of Avram to the servant is, Ki el-artzi You should go to my land and you should go to my birthplace. Says the Ibn Ezra. What does it mean you should go to my land? Zois <speaking> Choron. <in Hebrew> that is Choron. My land is Choron where I lived. Where, where Avram lived. And my laditi is Orkazdem. Now, maybe just before we go back to the Ibn Ezra. To mention one, one interesting thing. Because the servant says, well, what happens if the girl doesn't want to come back? And Avram says, look, then you're going to be clean from the Shavu, you don't have to worry about it. But, the servant was concerned, what happens if the girl doesn't want to come back? So, Avram said, listen, don't worry, HaKadosh Baruch is going to take care of you. He's going to send his angel, he's going to send, you know, his, his, um, his, uh, messenger, whatever it means in front of you and you're going to figure it out that it's going to work out well. The Rashi says that when Avram is saying this to the servant he prefaces it by saying Hashem going to help you he prefaces it with saying the same Hashem who's helped me he's going to help in this instance too. Hashem has helped me in my life. He's going to help you. He's not going to abandon us at this last moment. Says Rashi, what does it mean? Rashi says that he took me from Beis avi. that's Mecharon. And Mechara, that's Orkazdem. So in other words, where was where was he born, according to Rashi? Learning, he was born in Orkazdim, and where was his dad's house? That's Charon, right? That sounds should sound familiar, right? Because what did the Ibn Ezra say? Arzi is my land. That's Charon, and Melati is my birthplace. That's Orkazdim. The Ramban already picked up on this Rashi, and the Ramban is very upset at Rashi. The Ramban says, "What are you talking about, Rashi? If you saying the God who helped you, and you're saying that your milanity is in ur then back at the beginning, when you commanded the servant, he should go to my land and my birthplace, that means you're telling the servant to go to Or For the Ramban, that's an anathema. For the Ramban, as the Ramban says, that is impossible. Why is it impossible? Says the Ramban, then Avram was telling the servant to go marry somebody from Orkaz and potentially, that it's going to mingle, it's going to intermix the Zerah Kodesh of Avram with the cursed seed of the Canaanites. Chas that doesn't work. That is to say, it seems from Rashi, that was a possibility as it is for the Ibn Ezra for the Ramban he can't countenance it remember that there's a fundamental machleg, as we discussed before between the Ramban and the Ibn Ezra about A Moktu Mocher there's a fundamental machlegas about where Avram comes from it has this Eim Moktu has a tzatzah in this that is according to the Ramban Avram was from Charon According to the Ibn Ezra, Avram was from Orkazdam. And that colors all of the stories that we're learning about in these parashas. For the Ibn Ezra and for Rashi, Avram was actual birthplace, what it said on his passport or whatever, you know, the social security card, that said Orkazdam. For the Ramban, that can't be possible. The same way that the Ramban says it can't be possible. That Yehuda. When he got married, like in Paris Vayeshev, that he married, um, the Puzzle says that he he went down Adish Kanani Yishmael Shua. So is it that it was a Kanani. Kanani has to mean a it has to mean like a merchant. It can't be that the zera kodesh, that the Mashiach, you know, would be coming from from Minas uh, with, 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 with the locals. It doesn't work. It's impossible. Um, the reality is that for the Ramban, it's there's a two-fold the the two-fold opposition. One is the Pashup Shant, that he thinks that it's a better read to say that Avram was from Khar and then from Orkazdim. Why was he then in Orkazdim when 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 Hashem tells Avram? Why was he in Orkazim? What's he doing in Orkazim? What does Avram have to do with Orkazim? The answer is, he has what to do with Orkazim because the family moved there. They, they were you know, either unable to make a parnas or there was some good opportunity in Orkazim. They left Khan, they went to Orkazim. So that's where Avram from. He's from Khan. The story you have to understand this way. Now when it says, <laughs> it's all the same place. It's all Khan. Whereas according to the Ibn Asher, no. According to the Ibn Ezra, and, that, and he moves around different different circumstances, Lech becomes effectively before the end of Parshish Noach. For the Ibn Ezra, Avram is from Orkazdem. The problem with the Ibn Ezra is that over here, Arzi is Choron. But in Lechacha, Lechacha me'artzocha, me'artzocha meant Orkazdem. So, how did that change? It's not clear to me that Ibn Az has a strong answer for this. But I think he has to say Kharn. Because if he didn't say here in this parsha that Kiel but is Orkazim. If Arti is then why would Avram be going to Kharn at all? Now we've explained that the only way to get to Orkazim in those days was by going via Kharn. You go. In a direction that's almost like a like the, like a top part of a triangle, right? Because you have to go in a way that avoids the Arabian desert. If you're going to go through the desert, that would be unsuccessful. So you have to go in a way that's going to follow some water source. And so people would travel north, east, and then back south in order to get to, or Qasdam, in order to get to that area above etc., without going through the desert. And that pathway, that highway, was the highway that Avram took initially, and that's how he came down to Shechem initially, and that highway was the way that the Assyrians and the Babylonians and all of the conquerors of Israel always took, Nobody's traveling through the desert, that's effectively a fool's errand, you're never going to make it so where we get to, is that we are in a situation where that for the Ramban, Rashi is 100% wrong because it cannot be that Artzi and Miladiti are referring to two different places, one of Khar and one of Orkazdim, because that opens up the potential to marry a girl from Orkazdim. and how could you possibly marry a girl from Orkazdim when, the, when they're cursed? The Ibn Ezra has a neat way to get out of this problem. The Ibn Ezra says that Orkazdim is not the family of Canaan, we think always that, or Kazdem, that area, the Babylonians, etc., that those are children of Ham. But it doesn't have to be that way, says the Ibn Ezra. Maybe we had in the end of Parzveyeh the descendants of Nahar. One of them, his name was Kazdem. You're going to say, well, it's not exactly Kazdem, it's close. The Eskesed. Veschazoi, vespildas, says the Ibn Ezra. Kesed is Kozdim, and therefore, even though, even though it would seem um, that potentially from Pajaz that that area was settled by the family of Chum, that no, or Kozdim was settled by the children of Nachar, by the by the children of of uh, of. Um, Avram's brother, his nephew, etc. So therefore, if Orkazdim is really from the family of Nahar, then Avram is sending his servant with two options. Go to my family either in Haran or go to my family that's living in Orkazdim. <coughs> but either way, you're going to an area where there is my family. So that is the attempt, and perhaps not a so-so strong attempt, but it is an attempt by the Ibn Ezra to give, not to give short shrift, right, to give long shrift, to give the ability for both the birthplace to remain as Orkazdim, and yet not to have him potentially going to marry somebody outside of the family, you know, potentially from the family of Cham. Which should be an anathema if Avram is not wanting to marry anybody from the bnei Sakanani. I share noychi So let's just continue because there's another point here, and we're running out of time. I just want to mention a couple more points from the Ibn Ezra on this. The Ibn Ezra holds, and this is a, a a topic in its own right, one that we're not going to have the ability to go through today. But the Ibn Ezra says. That when Hashem, I'm sorry, when Avram is commanding the servant to go on this mission, to go find a wife, Avram doesn't know for sure that it's gonna be a successful mission. That's why he says, If she doesn't want to come, then we're gonna to have to figure out plan B. But you're gonna be Nikisa so Meshua, you're gonna be freed from this from this oath that I'm 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 making you swear to. he's not 100% sure. Avram's not positive that it's going to for sure work. He's hopeful. He's going to daven. But it's not a nevuah. It's not a prophecy that Avram is giving the servant. It's a hope. It's a dream. It's a wish. But, says the Ibn Ezra, there is not going to be taken for a chance. It's not going to be that what happens if the servant did his thing, right? He makes his whole test. And the girl, turns out, who's saying all these really great stuff, who really wants to be so helpful. But it turns out that she's not from the right family. She's just a nice girl. So maybe he'd give her a nice present. Maybe he would, you know, reward her for her kind work, her services of, you know, servicing all the camels and, and all the... All the men that the servant brought, fine. But he would let her go on her way. In other words, for the Ibn Ezra, like Rashi, but not like all the Rishinim. He first asked, Who are you? Basmiat, Hagidin Ali, before he ever gave her the jewelry. He first ascertained her identity. Before ever deciding that this is the girl, I saw a Avdech al Yitzchak. That is, for the Ibn Ezra, there was two options. Who was the destined girl for Yitzchak? It wasn't Rivka. Not like Rashi, it was no Basura or anything like this. But, it was absolutely a requirement for the Ibn Ezra that he was going to marry somebody from Avram's own family. Now that family had tentacles in different places. In Haran, and Orkazim, So there was optionality to go to different places. You have to go from uh, Eretz Canaan to Orkazim. You have to go via Haran. So that's the first stop. The servant is going to do his test. Whatever he comes up with, fantastic. If it's not the right family, because Maybe there are other, you know, tzikikim, or there are other people living in the town who are not members of the family of Avram. So they did a nice chesed, they get a present, they move on. The, the fact is that while Avram didn't have an Avua to give the servant to, on the mission, he gave it his prayers. He gave it his tfilas. Avram gave it all in terms of his Baruch Hu that the mission should be successful. That's what he gave it. And that's why, at the end, when he is making the test, and it comes out that the girl says the things that he wanted to hear, she is the one. She's the one because of the success of the tefillah. She's the one who's the success of, of, uh, of the mission. And therefore, says the Ibn Ezra, just to conclude, Therefore, the Ibn Ezra has a problem with the Gemara in Titus. The Gemara says that that um, that there were shleishah shalush leikah hagen. There were some people who who didn't ask appropriately um, in terms of of hakadosh baruch um, hu. you know, they asked in a way that was inappropriate. The Gemara says the examples are Eliezer, Shol and Yiftach we I mean, know what does it mean that, that they were Shol, shol Hagen? and the Gemara seems to suggest that it's a little bit of Nechosh what does it mean a little bit of Nechosh because we're not supposed to do things on the basis of signs like Sanachashu you're not supposed to say if this is going to happen then I'm going to do that and over here it's pretty clear that that's what the servant did right if if the girl's going to do this and this she's going to give me the water and the camel's the water then, then that's the girl that's pretty clearly what we say you're not supposed to do at Nihush. The famous Rambam says that that this was in fact Nihush, and it's Asr. And the Ravid over there says that if anybody, if uh, if Eliezer was alive, if he heard this, he would put a pulse of denura on Avraham Avinu. Uh, I'm sorry, on um, on um, on the Rambam for saying this about about him. The um, the uh, the other example of Shoal, Shoal said, whoever's gonna you know take care of of this pelishti, Goyaz, right? He's gonna marry my daughter, but who, who? You don't know it's gonna be David Amelach. You don't know who it's gonna be. It could be a very bad guy. It could be a mugash It could be a, a you know no good good no good in the kind of person. You're taking a risk. Again, also considered to be Shilohi Kohagin. But both those examples were answered Kohagin. They both lucked out. Right? Aliezer found Rivka. And of course, Shaul found David. The third example, that like says, is Yiftach, who was not answered Kohagin. And that's in relation to the fact that the first thing that comes out of his house is going to be a carbon. So... Uh, when it turned out to be his daughter, there's different versions, different opinions as to whether or not he in fact checked the daughter or didn't check the daughter. But either way, that one is Shalika Hagen. Either she was an Almanus Chagas, kind of like she lived alone, or she was a Rapunzel, or in fact he did kill her. But I didn't know, as we started out at the beginning of the class today, right, the Hetan Adarm is, uh, is hanging in the air, right? It's not a... It's not clearly in the Torah. And there's a problem with who's going to go, her, you know, to see, Pinchas had the ability to make for the nether, but who's going to go to see whom? But again, just to go back. So the Ibn Ezra, and in conclusion, the Ibn Ezra is saying that there's no problem of being sure Shalosh like in here. Why? Because it was never possible. It was never possible. Because it was always going to be knowing the identity of the girl before ever making the decision that this is the right girl for Yitzchak. And therefore, if that be the case, then it comes out that the Gemara in Tynus about Eliezer being Shalosh, Shalok, Hagen, or the Gemara um, in Chulon that talks about the Nihosh of Eliezer. So it comes out then that that is only going according to the Mishrainim that hold that he didn't ask who she was before he gave her the jewelry. No he decided that she was the right one just on the basis of the fact that it met the signs. Alright, we'll stop over here. Have a good chamas. Record